Good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast today is sponsored by Michaela and Sammy. In honor of the first-time grandparents, Melissa and Albert Sutton, the parents, Eileen and Teddy Braha, and their newborn daughter, and grandparents, Jana and Jack Braha. Hazaku Baruch. May we only celebrate Semachot together. Uh, Rabotai, first of all, I wanted to share one halakha, one idea that's brought down in, the, in this week's parasha, which is uh, it's a very high standard, but I think it's something that we all need to be working towards. The pasuk says, Midvar sheker tirhak. Now that's a very interesting terminology, and I'll tell you why. In all the mitzvot in the Torah, how does the Torah tell you what it does not want you to do? Lo tirzach. Lo tinaf, lo tignof, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, you know, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this. Very, very few mitzvot, in fact, according to one opinion, this is the only mitzvah in the Torah where there is a built-in sayag to the mitzvah itself. One more time. We know that there's a halakha, in fact, it's brought down in, uh, in Pirkei Avot, Asu sayag la Torah. What does it mean, Asu sayag la Torah? The Torah says that you're not allowed to do certain things on Shabbat. Come along the Rabbanan and they say, what happens if you're handling this object on Shabbat? You might come to use it. Chachamim said we're going to make this considered mukseh. Now you're not even allowed to pick it up on Shabbat. Why? Once you pick it up, you might forget it's Shabbat. You might use it. That's called the sayag, offense. Most mitzvot, the mitzvah is the commandment. And then we add on top of the commandment, midrabanan is sayag a uh, offense to distance us from the mitzvah itself. Here, the expression of the mitzvah itself is already said in the form of a sayag. It doesn't say lot shaker. It says midvar sheker tirchak. From a false thing, you should keep far, far away. Or from a false word, you should keep far, far away. Now, this idea was taken very, very, very seriously by our chachamim. In fact, I just wanted to share with you a few instances where our Chachamim went above and beyond to illustrate what this meant, Tirhak, to stay far away. The, um, the Panovich Rav, his name was Rav Kahanamin. And one year he was sitting in a certain area, and while he was in this area, he was invited for Rosh Hashanah to visit, to be a guest at one of the homes of the, of the uh, people in, his, in the synagogue. He didn't know what the kashrut was, but he felt bad he's going to embarrass the guy, uh, you know, more aib to embarrass someone on Rosh Hashanah evening. So he goes to the guy and he says, listen, thank you so much for the invitation. He says, but I can't accept. He says, why not? I can't accept, says Rav Kahanaman, because on Rosh Hashanah, on the second night, I eat alone. For 40 years, after that story happened, on the second night of Rosh Hashanah, Rav Kahanaman would not eat with his family even when he was home because he had said the words out of his mouth on Rosh Hashanah on the second night I eat alone. Could you imagine? Rav Eliyah Lapian, whenever he used to lead the services on the high holidays, there's a bit that the Hazan used to say, and not all, all the Mahzorim, because it's something that was specifically said by the Hazan. And it goes and it describes, Hinani he'ani mimaas. I am an, um, I'm, I'm poor from good deeds. And in the first line it says, Nir ash I'm trembling and I'm afraid. 
Rav Elia Lopian felt, how could I be the Hazan and say, I'm trembling and I'm afraid if it's not true? Chamovadia, in fact, says that when you would say um, the Silihot, they used to say Silihot before Amud Shahar, right? But today we just say it before whichever minyan you're going to. So what happens if you're saying Silihot, not in the, uh, in the middle of the night, you're saying it before the 8 o'clock minyan, or on Sunday before the 9 o'clock minyan. Chamuvadia says you have to take out the words, Balayla, Balayla, Besof, Ashmurot. Because it's not Balayla, it's not Sof Ashmurot, it's now in the morning. How could you say a word which is untrue? But Rav Shalom Shwadron, the Magid of Yerushalayim, he felt terrible. How could someone say this? How could someone say this idea that something, how could they uh, edit the Sidur? So you know what he did? Instead of skipping it like Rav Elia Lopian, or skipping it like Chamuvadia says, he would start his prayer of Here I am, I'm trying to be the Hazan. I am poor of deed. I can't do this. And he would start the prayer. Before he would start, he would say, In the Machzor it says, and then he would say it exactly as it says. Because then he's not saying that this is how I'm feeling. He's saying this is the Nusach. If, if this is where I'm holding, if I'm at the level where everything that it says in the Machzor is applicable to me, good. But if not, I didn't say a word of Sheker from my mouth. Rabotai, a lot of times we think we're giving up many, many different things by saying the Emet. But the Ramban writes something unbelievable. In Parashat Shemot, the Pasuk says, Gam ha'ish Moshe gadol me'od be'eretz Misraim. Moshe is gadol. He was considered huge. Not like uh, President Trump huge, but you know, a diff- real huge. Gadol me'od be'eretz Mitzrayim. Be'enei avdeh paro u'be'enei ha'am. In the eyes of the avdi, avadim paro and in the eyes of the people. There's something very interesting about this. Would you think or would you consider someone who is an enemy of the state to be gadol me'od? Would you show that person respect? Every word that comes out of Moshe Rabbeinu's mouth destroys Egypt even more than the word he said before it. Dam, You know, everything. And he's getting more and more honor. How are the people honoring him if the truth is so painful? Says the Ramban, unbelievable on the spot. Says the Ramban, when a person speaks words of truth, even if it's a truth that the person cannot hear, you, you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. Even if you can't handle the truth, they, there's a begrudging respect because they know that what you are saying is absolutely true. Rav Haim Brisker was very, very young and he was an incredible ilui, a, a genius. And in the yeshiva of the, of the Nesiv, they wanted to hire him to be one of the ones that was going to give the shiurim. But because it was such a famous yeshiva, such a prestigious yeshiva in Valozhin, they were afraid to hire someone to teach the boys who was so young. And it was a ruckus when the Nesiv brought him in to be the rabbi of the yeshiva, one of the rabbis in the yeshiva. They said, how could you bring this guy in? He's too young. He's not been road tested. We don't know if his, uh, if his, if his thinking is straight, etc., etc. So they decided, you know what? We're going to invite the great rabbis of the generation of the city that lived there to sit in on his opening shiur. Could you imagine the pressure? Young man, he's going to give a shiur. Rev. Eliezer Moshe Horowitz, he was in the back of the Gemara. Rev. Isaac Harif, the, the, he's absolute, you know, very, very sharp. Tell me, Dechachamim, going to pick him apart. 
Reb Chaim gets up and he absolutely wipes the floors with everybody. He gives a shiur on Yevamot, following the words of Rambam that they never heard before in their life. Asking questions, bringing answers, proofs from here, proofs from there. All of a sudden, and you could see on the face of everyone there that not only are they impressed, but they're going to give him the green light. All of a sudden, Rav Chaim stops. Stops. Everyone's waiting. He says, I just remembered that there's a halakha brought by Harambam in Ilchot Melachim. No one else realized it. Only him, he says, which says differently to what I just said. He closed his Gemara, closed the Rambam, and went and sat in his seat. Humiliated in front of everybody. He humiliated himself. The job that they're testing him for, he just gave up. Finish the shi'ur. Someone comes with the question. Or say, you know, while I was giving the shi'ur, uh, you know, I thought maybe I have a good question. Yeah, but finish it. Let them give you the stamp and then go. They didn't realize it. It's only you that realized it. But you know what was interesting? The reason why they gave him a stamp now was double. Number one, they knew that he was a genius. Number, number two, they knew that there was an absolute dedication to Emet to the truth. Who do you want teaching young people more than that? Who do you want? There was a case where Kham Ben Sion, Shaul, went to interview a bunch of eight-year-olds and he gave the kids a shiur and one of the kids raised their hand, an eight-year-old boy, and he asked Kham Ben Sion a question on his approach. Kham Ben Sion said, your question is better than my answer. He didn't try to weasel out, say like this, tell him it's a machloket, say kimli, like we said earlier, right, I hold like the other side of it. He shut his thing and he says, it's an excellent question. And do you think there was ever a better lesson in Talmud Torah, in Ma'asim Tovim, in Midvar Sheker Tirhak, than that morning with Ham Ben Zion? Now I want to end with one very interesting halakha. We were talking earlier upstairs with Korin Techamovadia, we were talking about the laws of when a, when a Dayan is sitting on a, uh, on a Bet Din. What happens? You know, a Bet Din requires three people. So let's say there's a big rabbi in the Bet Din. He's allowed to bring in two people who are hediotot, who are not great rabbis, to sit with him. Because he's a yachid mumche, he's alone as an expert, but he brings two more people and together they comprise a Bet Din. In such a scenario, the guy, uh, this rabbi has a case come before him and he sees as they're talking over the rabbis between them, the halakha, and he has an opinion, he sees that these guys are actually going to give down a ruling which is not according to halakha. Now what happens if he says, I hold like this? They, because there are two of them, they're going to outrule, they're going to outweigh him, and the halakha is going to come out. Shiloh, ke halakha, not going to come out according to the Torah. So if he gives his opinion, the court case is lost. But what happens, Chamovaya says, in such a scenario where he sees it's not according to halakha? The Dayan is allowed to say, any yodeya, I don't know. What happens when one of the three judges says, I don't know? If they all say an opinion, you follow the majority. If one of the judges say, I don't know, he's like recusing himself from the case. So in a case where a Dayan says, any yodeya, what do they do? They add more people to the Beddin. Once they add more people to the Beddin, now he knows that they can add the right people and the halakha will come out. But is it a problem of Midbar Sheker Tirhak? Says Hamuvadia, no. Why? Because the purpose of him saying, any yodeya, in that moment, is not to speak falsehood but to ensure that emet comes out. Rabotai, every single day in our lives, aside from guarding the words that we say to ensure that they are true, and if words come out of our mouths, like we saw with the Panovich Rav, to ensure that the deeds that we do afterwards are emet, 
They make our words true. So if I said I'm going to do something to make sure that I work, that the words that I said previously are true. Aside from that, there's also this element to ensure that through me, it cannot be that something which is untruthful should come out. And if that's the case, any odea, you take it on the chin, even if it means getting a little embarrassed to ensure that something, that the person is a bastion of midvar, Shekir Tirhak. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen, amen, amen. Rabbi Haranya, amen, akasha, amen.